You know when you're lustful. Do you know in 32 years of full-time ministry and pastoral ministry, nobody has ever walked into my office, sat down and said, I am really struggling with a sin. What is that sin? I'm really struggling with greed. Can you help me with this, Pastor? Never has anybody come into my office and confess. Uh, and how does this manifest itself? Well, I'm thinking about selling this or buying this. I'm thinking about embarking on this journey. And I'm bothered that if I upgrade here, I'm bothered that I may be meeting a greed deep within my heart that I'm blind to and I'm unaware of. So help me, pastor, to discern whether I am greedy or not and I am just doing it to fulfill a need to be in a social bracket, a need to be accepted, a need to look correct. Help me, pastor, with my greed. Now, Monday morning, you might be all lining up now. But why is it that greed is such a problem in Scripture, but not a problem in church? Jesus, oh, sex is a problem in church. Pornography is a problem in church. You know, I've had hard drives lined up in my office, having confiscated and talked to people and put things on and done this and... But how come greed isn't? How come nobody ever hands over their credit card? And how rare it is when they cut it in half, into pieces. Jesus taught about greed three times more than he spoke about sex. And yet, we talk about lust, probably... 30 more times than we ever talk about greed. So I look, as I look at this, let's start here. We've read from, let's read Luke 16. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Just hang, look at this word here, serve. This word here, serve, is a word that describes in the Greek, it is, it is, you cannot have an oath or a covenant with a king. So what Jesus is talking about is you can't serve two kings in your life. You can't have two thrones because when you serve two kings, you are committing treason. And when you commit treason, because you have to choose which throne you choose to bow the knee to. Service. So when we dethrone money from our lives as a way of worship, what we're saying is I no longer Put worship, I put money as my king in my life. I boot it off and I put Jesus Christ as my king and as my Lord. The Pharisees were outraged in this in verse 14. They go on and they, they talk and they say, the Pharisees who love money heard all this and were sneering at Jesus. He said to them, you are the ones who justify yourselves in the eyes of others. But God knows your heart. 
What people value highly is detestable in God's sight. So there's a battle that we have in our worship that money can become an idol. That we worship it on a throne and you can't make an oath to Christ and make an oath to money. Who is your king? Let me give you a definition of an idol. An idol is three things. So here we go. This is your test, my test, of whether I have an idol of money in my life. Test number one. An idol in scripture is to do with what you love the most. What you love the most is usually what you think about the most. And when we love money the most, and we love what we have, then often it becomes our focus, our drive, our obsession. Oh, you can have a lot of religion and also love money. The Pharisees loved money, and they had religion coming out of their ears. What do you love the most? Do you love your possessions? Do you love what you own? Do you love what you consume? Does it define you? Or do you love God first? Is is what he's saying. It's tough, isn't it? Because I'm listening to myself preach. And I'm challenging myself about whether I really love what I possess. And greed is such a slippery customer. That I'm asking myself, am I blind to my own justification? How deep am I willing to go with God to examine the greed in my own heart? You love your idol. The second thing you do is you trust your idol. So when I worship money, do I trust my idol? In other words, what I possess, is that what I trust for my future? Or do I trust the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and the power of Christ within my life? What are you trusting the most? What are you trusting in your journey? It's complicated because we're, in my mind I'm saying, yeah, but I do need this pension fund. And I do live in, in, in Kelowna. And I do do this. And I do have a family. And I've got to put two kids through university. Oh, yada, yada, yada. And that's the slippery nature of this subject. Because I've got to go, do I love it? Do I trust it? And the third thing is, do I obey it? That is an idol. If I love it above Jesus, if I trust it as the first go-to in my life, and if I obey it. So the question I have to ask myself is, if all of what I own is taken away, and my wonderful wealth, do I still trust the Lord Jesus Christ? And Do I love him or has my God of money so defined me that my faith, my world crumbles? What have you done to me, God? You've taken away my wealth. 
I, my small group is a place called Marketplace Leaders. We meet Thursday mornings at 6.45 for those of us who are involved in the workplace as mission. I think as a pastor, I'm involved in the workplace as mission. So I go along with mainly business owners and, and different ones who want to bring their, their faith into their marketplace. There are about two or three of those gentlemen that have shared very deeply about the times when they made more money than you can imagine and they lost more money than they can imagine and how they put their trust in God as number one and how they've had to rebuild their lives in a completely different value system because really what they learned was that deep at the heart, deepest level of their life they loved what they did, they loved what they made and they trusted it beyond belief. When the financial crash happened in 2008, so many men went out and killed themselves because they'd lost everything. There was a hole so documented because they'd lost all. So who do we serve? How do I work this through? Well, I look at Zacchaeus. And first of all, Zacchaeus was the chief tax collector, verse 1 and 2. That means he was, the, he was top dog. He was number one. Don't think of Zacchaeus so much as a modern day tax collector. I know there may be tax collectors here. And I want to say, welcome to this church. You are loved. Um, and, and I am happy to pay my taxes. I have hospitals and roads and so on. But a tax collector back then, don't think of it like a, a tax collector today. Think of a tax collector like a rubber baron. Think of it like a collaborator a, who collaborated with the Nazis in, in Second World War in France. Think of a tax collector as a lead drug baron who is extorting money from people through the use of narcotics. Think of a slave driver. Think of a collaborator. Think of the worst individual in the Second World War who worked with the German authorities to put people away. This is how they were viewed as sinners collaborating with an imperial power who is ripping their country and their soul to pieces over taxing them for about 700 key individuals who ruled basically the Roman Empire was run by 700 people. There were millions of them but it came down to a very few powerful rich people. And he comes and Jesus arrives and... And Jesus is going to deal with the sin of greed within his life. Now, when you have the sin of adultery, you know when you're committing adultery, right? You don't look, wake up in somebody's bed and go, oh, I'm here. Maybe I committed the sin of adultery. You know that you did it. But when you commit the sin of greed, it is so blind you like Zacchaeus was so blind. He was so twisted. He was so wrong. 
And so Jesus is coming down, and what does he do? He climbs up into a tree. Jesus turns, looks at him, and said, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your home. Um, What can we draw from this story that you know so well from the verses of chapter 19 and you've known it from Sunday school that you don't, that you can draw this morning? Well, first of all, a greedy, miserable extorter who was collaborating with the Romans suddenly decides that he wants to see Jesus and he was desperate. And I think what changes a man's heart is when we realize how dark we are and how desperate we are to meet with Jesus. Desperation is a good thing in my journey to connect with Jesus Christ. Not only was he desperate, but he was willing to to make himself look ridiculous. He was willing to lose his dignity, desperate and dignity. He wanted to lose his dignity. And he climbed up a tree in in Jewish culture. And in that culture where dignity is everything, it's a bit akin to perhaps Japanese culture. It's about about pride. It's about honor. It's about dignity. And he lost all of his dignity, climbed up a tree because he wanted to see Jesus. And what was Jesus' response? He looked at him and he said, come down. His response was he wanted to be his friend. You may feel like you are the greediest, most selfish, most dark individual. You may feel as if you have blown it in life. You may feel as if there is no hope for you and you are condemned. You are the collaborator with the enemy and you have wrecked your life. But I want to tell you, Jesus, if you're desperate, if you're willing to lay down your dignity, Jesus Christ will become your friend this morning. But but greed made him a miserable little person climbing up a tree. I feel for him. Notice Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I want to come to your house. Notice that Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' life. Zacchaeus didn't invite Jesus in to his life. Jesus invited himself into Zacchaeus' life. And if you've got Jesus Christ, I want to remind you that you didn't choose him. He chose you. And he invited himself into your mess. He invited yourself into your battles. He invited himself into the crazy world of chaos that we create by our loves of this world and by our idols. He invited himself. And he, the reason you're here, and you may feel your, your world is spinning out of control, you're helpless, you've got problems, is because Jesus has invited himself into your life. So he's got a bit of work to do in your life. He's going to come and eat at your table. He's going to become your friend. Jesus says, now follow me. Zacchaeus knows that he's got to deal with one big issue. Money. Wealth. 
To be a follower of Jesus, he can no longer be extorting people of their tax. He can no longer be the collaborator with the Romans. He needs a change of heart. Jesus gives him a change of heart. And where does the change of heart affect him the most? In his pocket. Suddenly, he gives 50% of all his possessions to the poor. The Torah taught, give 10% of your possessions to the poor. Listen, he gives 50%. And then he says, if I've swindled everybody and ripped them off, you know what I'm going to give them? I'm going to give them back. Not just 20% as the Torah teaches in in Leviticus and Numbers. I'm going to give back 300% because Jesus Christ has become my friend. And I've become a generous. I've become a giving. I've become a Christ follower. And when you are a Christ follower, you don't just give like this. You become generous in life. Wow. Wow. Am I justifying myself with the little I give? Am I justifying myself with the battle I have? Am I blinding myself when I look at Zacchaeus? You see, many of us believe that we change and then salvation comes to us. No, salvation comes to us and then we change. So since salvation has come to you and I, how has this changed in our money world? How radical has it changed with the way... Now, the world is changing around us. We may have the financial revolution and all the, the orgy of, of money and cheap finance and people getting into mess. But at the same time, you've got a whole movement of millennials who are talking about becoming mim, uh, minimalists, living their life as simply as possible because they become sickened by the consumption of their world. And it's on Netflix. It's everywhere. How can I get rid of excess? How can I become uh, more generous? How can I live and just have a few clothes and not all of these clothes? These aren't Christians, by the way. These are millennials saying, we've looked at this world and we are trusting too much in what we consume, what we own, and we are getting our identity from what we own and consume. And we've got to stop this. Interesting movement. Sounds a little bit like Christianity, actually. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? I'm sorry. Where am I going to land this? So he became generous. He didn't just become a tither, because tithing is in the Old Testament. And when Jesus died for me, he didn't tithe 10% of his blood. He tithed his whole life for my life so that I may be a saved person. I don't ask the question, I shouldn't ask the question, how much must I give? How much must I give? The question is, how much can I give? And that was the question that Zacchaeus discovered. And yes, For those of you new to Christianity, the Christian tradition in the Old Testament has always been to give 10% of our first fruits to honor God. And people say, why don't we, why isn't there much talk about 
about giving in the New Testament, in, in tithing. You have to really squeeze and work and so on. Well, it's taken as a given, I believe, that 10% is that minimum. Because Christ gave all. But when we look beyond that, the answer is then, uh, with Christian giving, am I giving generously? Am I giving sacrificially? And am I giving regularly? And should I do this project or should I build something? Should I engage in this or is this because of greed and I'm so blind to this? It's a challenge, isn't it? You say, but I can't even, oh, you mentioned tithing now. Now I'm, oh, come to church. I know for some families that our very idea of jumping to 10% seems massive. Can I just ask you a question then? Just take a step forward in the right direction to honor the Lord. The widow's might was sacrificial. Just take a step that feels sacrificial. And you'll see how much the sin of greed is in your heart and in my heart. And I had to ask myself the question, to be honest, when was the last time I gave sacrificially? Where it hurt. You might say it hurts every Sunday, and I say, God bless you. People I know can give 10% like this, and it doesn't hurt. It's never sacrificial. It's just, I do it religiously. Well, do you think the Lord... Applause us for that when it's, it has no cost in our priesthood of worship, has no sense to it in sacrifice. So, discern your own heart, discern your own journey. In our lives, we discern ourselves around this table and we say, Lord, I examine myself. And you may be sat here and you may not be a Christian and you may be a Christian feeling a little bit uncomfortable and I'm feeling incredibly uncomfortable Because I'm saying now I've got to examine myself because greed is such a deep-rooted... It's what theologians call, I began with this, it's called a soul idol, a hidden idol, something that is so deep within our makeup that we rarely ever talk about it. So the beautiful thing about this story is Zacchaeus went from becoming an oppressor of the poor, a user of the poor, a manipulator of the poor, to becoming a champion of the poor. And he became a man of justice and righteousness and a changed man, which made him a generous man. What a beautiful person. He goes from being a slave driver to becoming a liberator. 
That's what happens when Jesus invites himself into your life. There's no law, there's freedom. There's joy. Our Father in heaven, we gather around this table and we remember that you did not tithe 10% of your blood for our salvation. But we're reminded that you who were rich became poor so that we who are poor may become rich. And I thank you that when I stand at this table, I am the richest man in the world. Help me, Lord, to discern my own heart about what I own and possess. And may I go through the change, Lord. Like Zacchaeus, who no longer saw money as something to be grabbed at and worshipped, but it became a means to an end. It became a tool for a job. It became something he stewarded in his life. And he became a generous, regular, sacrificial giver. Always to an audience of one and always because of you came to dinner at his house. Wow. Thank you, Lord. We invite the ushers to come.